It is, uh, it's great to be here with you guys this evening. If I've, not, if I've not met you before, my name's Ian, and I lead uh, north site of uh, Vineyard Church with my wife, Sophie. Um, I think as Paul explained at the start, we're a multi-site church, so we have two sites at the moment, and I'm sure in the coming years, God will help us to launch more of those across the city. But at the moment, we, we lead the site in the north of the city, and we're... Loving it. We're loving it. It's great. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a sec. But this is the first time they've let me come back since they launched us out in September. Uh, read into that what you will. And, um, but it's an absolute privilege. We meet in a hotel on a Sunday morning, so we meet in a holiday inn. And every now and again, they take other bookings. So I think they had a wedding fair this morning. And we were just like, you know what, that's fine. We'll work out something else. So I think a bunch of our congregation, some of them were here this morning. Others had the morning off. I saw a bunch of them went for a carvery. What a way to spend lunchtime when there's no church. And, uh, but I was put to work. I came here and I was preaching this morning and I'm doing it again tonight. But you know what? I am so excited to be here with you tonight. It's a privilege to be able to come back and spend, spend this time with you guys. And if it's okay, I'd love to just give you a quick update on how things are going in the north. Because, you know, we launched the thing back in September and I don't know if there's been much update, but it'd be great just to share what we see and what the Lord's doing. And so, yeah, we have been so encouraged by what God is doing with our community in the north of the city. Um, Like I said, we have launched uh, Sunday services, so we've established that in the north. And that was just the initial thing of what we set out to do, to have a local expression of Vineyard Church in the north of the city so that people could invite their friends and their neighbors and their family to come and engage with what God is doing and come and explore faith. So we've established that, and it's been so encouraging to see our community inviting their neighbors and friends. I think every week, there hasn't been a week that's gone by yet when I haven't seen a new face and had the opportunity to say, hey, welcome to our church. So that's been a huge encouragement and just great obedience by the guys that have come with us to the north of the city, just stepping out. And it's, it's amazing what happens when you move, when you um, multiply what we're doing here in another part of the city and just make it that little bit easier for people to come. So that's been great. Uh, and we've had, a, we, God's been great in terms of, we've built a great relationship with the holiday and the staff there and, and everyone who works there, we've been so blessed by the relationship that we've been able to build with, that, with those guys. Um, obviously, the north side looks a bit different to this. It's a, it's a different venue, and it's a little bit of a smaller community. But what I want to say is that the DNA of what we're doing is exactly the same. We have the same values. Uh, we're working through the same preaching series. And we are still one church. We're just spread across the city. It's, and it's wonderful to see what God is doing through that. And the way that Sophie and I um, would describe where the North site has got to is we've just, we're getting to the end of phase one, which was to establish that Sunday service, a meeting point where, where people could invite people to come and engage with our community. We've, we've got to that point. But we know that God is calling us to far more than that. We know that um, he is not calling us to settle for what we currently have and what we currently see. So we're looking to, over the next season of um, launching that site, of establishing ourselves in the North City, we're just looking to, to engage with the different neighborhoods in the North. How do we go into those areas and bless them and serve them and love them? So we're excited for all that God is uh, going to do with us over the coming months and years ahead. 
But we've also been really encouraged by what we've heard God is doing with this community and with this site and through, through you guys. Um, word didn't reach us in the north about the big disco ball, but I'm really excited for that. I'd have been back here way sooner if I knew that this was in place. I, um, I hear it's only temporary, so enjoy it while it's here. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't fall because that would be really awkward, but it looks pretty sturdy. I'll just, I'll just carry on. I'm a professional. This is fine. This is good. But we have been so encouraged by the stories that we've heard. Because when, we le- when we launched the, um, the North site, obviously there were a bunch of guys that came with us who lived in that area who had been coming to this site. And what happened was that freed up space. Because this place was getting really, really rammed. It was busy. There was no space for new people to come and connect. And so it's been amazing to just hear stories um, and hear the team just sharing how new people have been able to come and get stuck in here. And so if you've joined this church, if you've been part of this community in the last six months or so since we, since we launched the site, I just love to say that is so encouraging to me. And we are so glad that you have um, decided to make this your home. Or if you're exploring, we are so delighted that you're here. So that's fantastic. And, and it's been wonderful to hear stories of people coming and exploring faith and encountering Jesus in this community. It's been wonderful. And I just want to say to you that you have fantastic leaders in this site. I want to commend your leaders, your site pastors to you. Obviously, James and Jen, who are the senior pastors of this church, um, are fantastic. But we also have the site pastors, Paul and Matt and Alice, who I think are site pastors of the morning, and the team that supports them, the wider leadership team here. These guys are our dear friends. I have the privilege of working with, um, with these guys during the week, and we love these guys. And what I want to say to you is that these guys love you. These guys are, your leaders are committed and excited and passionate about what, is, what God is doing in this community and in this part of the city. So I just want to commend them to you and say, buy into what they're leading you into. Commit to what they're doing. You know, Paul invited you guys to get involved. It's not just about joining a team and, and serving on a Sunday, but get behind the vision of what is going on in this, in this site because it's exciting and God is doing something wonderful. So yeah. I'd love to, I hope that's an encouragement to you. I'd just love to pray. Before I go any further, I'd just love to pray for what God is doing amongst us. Lord God, I thank you that, that this is your idea. That this isn't something that we've come up with ourselves and we're just trying to muddle through it and work out what to do. Lord, you have spoken to to us and to the leaders of this church and said, this is what I want you to do, Vineyard Church in Cardiff. And I thank you for the obedience of our leadership team. And I thank you for the way that this community and this church has supported and backed that vision. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out your favor on us. I pray that you would continue to open doors for us to engage with the city. And I pray that you would bring many into this church family, that we would see many people come to know you, not for this church to grow, but for your kingdom to be advanced and for lives to be changed as a result of meeting you. So come and do that, Lord. And I just pray that as as I just share this word now, that you would come and speak to us, come and stir our hearts, open up our minds to receive what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
So, we are currently in the middle of a Kingdom Carriers series. Uh, We're looking at one of the values of our church. And so far in this series, we have talked about having a kingdom authority. Paul kicked us off, kicked off this series looking at kingdom authority. And we've also looked at having deeper intimacy with God. We've looked at uh, how everyone gets to play, that no one's excluded from this. If you're part of this community, you get to get involved. And we've also looked at what happens when the Spirit of God begins to move powerfully in our church and across our city. And we've also heard some wonderful stories of what this looks like in individual lives in our community. If I'm right, I think two weeks ago you had some wonderful um, stories. I think there were interviews here and you just heard about what it looked like in certain individuals' lives, the way that God was using them. So encouraging. But over the next two talks in this series, this week and next week... I feel like we're going to have a bit of a gear change because I think what God's leading us into is to to make this more practical. Some of the stuff that we've looked at so far might be a bit theoretical and and what kind of, you know, the, the nature of a kingdom carrier. Over the next two weeks, I'd love for us to look at the practical. What, what does a kingdom carrier do? How do, we, how do we live as kingdom carriers in our day-to-day lives? As kingdom carriers, we're supposed to live differently, aren't we? Being kingdom carriers is ultimately about people being people who do the stuff that Jesus did himself and taught us to do. So we're going to have a look at what that means to be people who do the stuff. If you've been part of this church for very long, or if you've been part of a vineyard church before, then there's a good chance you'll have heard that phrase, doing the stuff. You see, there was a guy called John Wimber who was instrumental in starting the vineyard movement. And he used this phrase, doing the stuff, all the time. You see, when John came to faith, he was reading through the gospel accounts. And he got really excited by what he was reading about, the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And he really liked the Jesus that turned water into wine. I like that Jesus too. Uh, The Jesus who miraculously multiplied the bread and the fish. Uh, The Jesus who walked on water. The Jesus who healed the sick and cast out the demons. And he was excited because as he read what Jesus was doing and what the disciples were doing, all this cool stuff, he thought, great, this is what we get to do. He was new to faith and he was like, I'm really excited to get to do this stuff too. But after being in church for a few months, he was really disappointed because they hadn't done any of that stuff. So one day after the service, he approached one of the pastors and he asked him, so when do we get to go out and do it? And and the guy he was speaking to was like, what? And John said, when do we get to go out and do the stuff? You know, the stuff that Jesus actually did in the Bible, healing the sick and casting out demons, that stuff, when do we get to go and do it? And the pastor's response was, oh, you don't have to go out and do that stuff. You just have to believe that Jesus did it once. And that wasn't the answer that John really wanted to hear. He was pretty disappointed by that. He'd been reading all this stuff and was like, I want to do that stuff. He, in his testimony, he says, I gave up drugs for this. You mean I've just got to come and sit and listen and then go back home? I don't get to do any of the fun stuff. Why did I give up drugs for that? Well, over the next few months... Wimber discovered that the church read about it and sang about it. They preached about it and they prayed about it. They even gave their money to it. But they never actually did it. They never actually did the things that we read Jesus did and taught his disciples to do. 
And at that time, people had no difficulty believing uh, the things that Jesus, that Jesus did those things. People didn't struggle to believe that Jesus did it. What they didn't realize, and what John became deeply convicted of, was that Jesus did those things, and he expects us to do those things as well. So in Mark 1.14, when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, saying, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe, everything that he said or did from that point forward was confirmation of that statement, that the kingdom of God is near. All that Jesus taught was the kingdom, and all that Jesus did was the kingdom. Throughout his life, what we read about in the Gospels, Jesus wasn't just showing us how wonderful he is, and he is wonderful, but he wasn't just showing us how good he was. He was giving us a model for how to do the stuff of the kingdom. And so we need both the doing and the telling if we're going to be effective in carrying the kingdom the way that Jesus calls calls us to. And Wimber put it this way, we need the words and the works. He said this, The vineyard is God's idea. He called us as kingdom people doing the stuff of proclamation and demonstration. To do only half of what we've been called into is not a complete gospel message. And we must do all of what God has placed upon us. You see, doing the stuff is about proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. Telling people and showing people that the kingdom of God has come and it's continuing to come. The now and the not yet. And it's about sharing the message of the kingdom and showing its power to bring transformation in the lives around us, in this city. And as kingdom carriers, we're called to do both. And we see this in Matthew 10, actually in a verse, in a passage that Matt Meads um, spoke from in part two of this series. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples with authority and instructions. And in verse seven, he tells them this, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in verse 8, he instructs them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Here we clearly see Jesus instructing the disciples to do both. And if you're wondering whether that was just once in the Bible, and I'm just making a point out of one thing, there are loads of examples of Jesus and the early Christians doing this in the New Testament. Let me just run through a couple. In Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In Acts 3, Peter heals a crippled beggar and then shares the gospel with the crowd of onlookers as the healed man stands alongside him. In Acts 8, we're told that Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus in the city of Samaria and demonstrated the power of the kingdom with miraculous signs. In Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas boldly sharing the gospel and we're told that the Lord confirmed their message by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And lastly, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 to 5, the Apostle Paul says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that, you, so that your faith might not rest upon men's wisdom, but on God's power. I don't believe that it's enough for us to read these verses and believe that Jesus intended this just for himself and the early church, and not for us. We've got, to people, we've got to be people who do that stuff too. And like Wimber said, to only do half of what we've been called to do is not a complete gospel message. We must do all of what God has placed upon us. 
And this is part of our DNA as the Vineyard Church. This is, what we've been, this is who we've been called to be. We've been called to be people who do the stuff in our day-to-day lives, people who do the things that Jesus did and commanded us to do, people who carry the kingdom with our words and our works. Now, in order to hopefully do justice to both, both aspects of this, this evening I'm going to be focusing on the proclamation of the kingdom, and next week we'll be looking in more depth at the demonstration of the kingdom. So this is essentially a two-parter, this talk. This is a two-part talk. I'm not actually doing the talk next week, so good luck to whoever is doing it. But they're going to be preaching on the demonstration of the kingdom. But what I hope will be clear when you put those two talks together is that we believe that biblically, following the example of Jesus and the apostles and the early church, that these two things go hand in hand as we share the gospel and extend the kingdom. As we seek to carry the kingdom and share the good news with those around us and with this city, we need to do both of those things. So let's take a look at the proclamation. Proclamation is about what we say, what comes out of our mouths. So here's a question for you. On any given day or week, what would you say is the thing you talk about the most? Is it sports, politics, the news, your family, your work, your faith, your favorite TV show? You know, if I'm really honest, for me, it's it's probably either football or food. They're probably the two at the top of my list, shamefully. Uh, the number of times my wife's just like, she actually said it's day, can you just stop talking to me about the football? United were struggling in their game, and she was like, just don't talk to me about it. Anyway. Now I'm a talker. If you know me, you'll know this. I can talk and talk and talk. I have no problem filling uh, a silence. Small talk is not a problem for me. And my parents used to refer to my talkativeness as verbal diarrhea. That's not a nice phrase, is it? The number of times I would hear them just say, Ian, you just speak verbal diarrhea all the time. Just saying things, talking rubbish for the sake of talking. That's me. (laughs) That's me. I think I just do whatever I can as an extrovert to avoid my greatest fear, an awkward silence. Just got to talk into it. Well, as someone who tends to use a lot of words to say what I'm trying to say, I can sometimes... Stop laughing. (laughs) I can sometimes take for granted the fact that words are powerful. And in Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death. And from this we can deduce that our words have power. Power to influence, power to bring change even power to bring life and death. Now, often, the problem I have is that my mouth works quicker than my brain. So I start saying things before I've even clocked what I'm saying. It's, even, it's happening right now. This is a challenge for me. Uh, does anyone else have this problem, or is it just me? It's, maybe it's just me. Uh, I'll get prayer at the end. But Before I realize what I'm saying, stuff's already coming out of my mouth. That's why it's dangerous to give me a mic and let me come and stand up here. I'm a little surprised they let me come back. I think that's why I got sent to the north. Just ship him off up north, Cardiff, and uh, we won't have to listen to his verbal diarrhea anymore. But actually, I think it's really important for us to learn to be intentional with what we say. I was, I was sharing this with the, with the morning service 
earlier, that when I came to faith, one of the first things God changed in my life was the way that I spoke. As a teenager, every other word was probably the F word. I just constantly swearing. That was how I, that was my vocab, the way I explained things. That's how I talked about life and to people. And when I came to faith, I just felt so convicted that that was not the way to speak. That was not honoring to people. That was not honoring to God. That wasn't a representation of who I am anymore. And so God changed my language. You see, our words matter. Our words matter. We are kingdom carriers and we have a kingdom message. A message of hope and good news. That the kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come and he's conquered death. He's paid the price for our sins. And every day he is restoring lives back to him. And he's restoring all creation back to the way that God intended it. That is the kingdom message. And we have a message to share, and the people that we're surrounded by need to hear that message if they haven't heard it. But what I think is that the reality is, we can find this really difficult to do in our everyday, can't we? I know that I find this difficult to do. So this evening, I just want to try and make this as simple as possible for us. And there's a verse that I'd just like us to take a closer look at for the rest of this evening. It's 1 Peter 3.15, and it should appear on the screen behind me. And in it, Peter says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Can we just leave that verse just on the screen? Thanks. Awesome. Now, this verse is found in a letter that Peter wrote to the early Christians who were suffering persecution for their faith. They were being put on trial for being followers of Jesus. And Peter's advice to them was to be prepared to share the hope that they have about Jesus when they were questioned, when they were put on trial. Now, our context is obviously a little bit different. Most of us in the room are probably not facing persecution and interrogation in the same way. Although we do know that there are Christians around the world who do face persecution, that, that, that their lives are at risk for confessing their faith. But when we share our faith in culture, for most of us, we're not at risk of losing our lives. However, that doesn't mean that our faith isn't sometimes on trial with those around us, particularly when people ask us to explain why we believe what we believe. And it's these moments, these opportunities to proclaim the kingdom that I want to explore for the remainder of this evening by unpacking this instruction from Peter and applying it to our context today. And I'd like to suggest that there are three principles I think we can draw out from this verse. Firstly, live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. Secondly, embrace opportunities to share your story. And thirdly, be prepared to give an answer. So let's just take a look at each of these one by one. Firstly, live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. In the first part of the verse, Peter encourages the Christians to set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. When we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives, it means that everything else takes a back seat. It means that we don't answer to anyone else or anything else. He is Lord of our lives. And throughout this series, we've explained that the kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign is. So as kingdom carriers, God's rule and reign should be central to our lives. 
As disciples of Jesus, the way that we live should look different to the world around us. There have been times when uh, the decisions that Sophie, my wife, that Sophie and I have made in our lives that have provoked questions from our friends and family who don't know Jesus. Uh, It didn't make sense to people when Sophie had spent three years studying law and then at the end of it decided not to pursue a career in it because the Lord had spoken to her clearly about not doing that. Or the fact that we chose to not have sex or um, live together before we got married. That was a decision because we knew that that was what holy living and living right in our relationship was about. That when we, before we were married, we should not have sex or live together. Or the money that we tithe from our income and give to the church each month because we believe that that's what God calls us to. These are just some of the examples of the ways that we've tried to live in accordance with what we believe God has called us to. And these things stand out and make us different from those around us that don't know Jesus. And that's not to say that we get this right in every area. We're still trying to work out what it looks like to be obedient and to submit to God in every aspect of our lives, in every decision. And we're still learning and working out what this looks like. But we know that kingdom living looks different from worldly living. And Katia Adams puts it this way. I love this quote. Our lives shouldn't make sense. If the decisions you make about where you live, how you spend your money and your time, the people that you love, make perfect sense to people who don't share our faith, then is it really any different? Stop making sense. I love that. Stop making sense. Our lives are supposed to look different. This, isn't, this is just as much a challenge to me as it is to all of us. It's an ongoing journey of learning to let God rule and reign in our lives. But as we do, as we embrace living as kingdom carriers who set apart Christ as Lord, we will increasingly live in such a way that will cause people to, around us to ask questions. And this leads me on to my second principle. Embrace opportunities to share your story. Someone who certainly knew how to take advantage of any moment to talk about Jesus was the Apostle Paul. I love reading about Paul in the New Testament. He's such a dude. Someone who, he was someone whose life was so radically changed as a result of encountering Jesus. And at one point in his life, he was placed under house arrest. He was a prisoner in his own house. For two years, he wasn't allowed to leave. There would have been guards watching over him 24 hours a day. And Paul would have been chained to the guards at all all times. And the guards would have had to have been on like a shift rotor, like taking it in turns to be chained to Paul to make sure that he didn't go anywhere. And in Acts 28, verses 30 to 31, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about this is that if it was your turn to be chained to Paul, you couldn't get away from him. You had to stay next to him and listen to him share the gospel and share his testimony. You couldn't go anywhere because your job was to make sure that Paul didn't go anywhere. I wonder how many of those guards gave their lives to Jesus as a result of hearing Paul's testimony, as a result of hearing the gospel. Most of us would have seen imprisonment as a hindrance, but not Paul. 
Paul used it as an opportunity to share the gospel. He embraced every opportunity to share his story and with anyone who was willing to hear it. So let me ask you, if somebody spent a week with you or a day with you or even just an hour with you, would they get to hear the good news? Would they get to hear your story? You know, for me, one of these moments occurs whenever I go and get my hair cut. That's my Paul in prison moment. Because I go into the barber shop and I sit down in that chair and I'm not going anywhere until my hair's cut. And the guy who's cutting my hair, he can't go anywhere until he's cut my hair. So I'm like Paul and he's like the guard. And we just play out this little scenario just like this. And I've started to set myself the challenge. Can I get into a conversation with this guy in the time that it's going to take me to cut him to cut my hair? Can I get into a conversation that gives me an opportunity to either share the gospel with him, tell him about Jesus, or just share a glimpse of my story with him? And you know what? Sometimes I end up having some really great conversations. And, and they ask questions, and I get to share a little bit of my story and what I believe and why I'm a Christian. And other times it just doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes I'm sat there and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, good. I'm like, busy day. And yeah. And you start, you know, small talk, verbal diarrhea, whatever, just, just making conversation, hoping for an opportunity, and then it just stops. And then like for 20 minutes, you're just like, oh man, we're going to do this, right? We're just going to sit here and no conversation. And you leave and you're a little bit dejected, but you're like, oh, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about this. I'll be back next month for my haircut. You can see I need to go back this week. I'm, pre- I'm doing this preach in the north next week, and I'm hoping I'm going to have a great story to share with them from having my haircut. It's going to be good. So, where did I get to? This is chaos. <laughs> this is something that I've challenged myself to grow in. And it's not just when I go to the barbers, it's when I go to the supermarket, or when I'm with neighbors, or when I'm at the gym. Wherever, whatever opportunity arises with whoever it is, will I take that opportunity? And sometimes opportunities just present themselves to us. You know, someone that we know who's been a friend of ours or who's watched our lives for a while sees the way that we're living and they just ask us a question about our faith. Why do you live the way that you live? They ask the question. But other times, we see an opportunity and we have to initiate that conversation. Paul embraced every opportunity because he knew the difference that Jesus had made in his life. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. Paul knew the truth about Jesus had changed his life, but he also knew that it had the power to change other people's lives as well. We have to be willing to embrace opportunities to share our story in order for other people's lives to be changed by the gospel. Sharing stories of lives changed by Jesus has the power to change lives. I'll say that again. Sharing stories of lives changed by Jesus has the power to change lives. So what happens when the opportunity next arises for you? What about the next time you go to the barbers? Or what about the next time you're in the gym? Or chatting to someone at lunch at work? What happens when that opportunity arises? What then? Well, this brings me to my final point. Be prepared to give an answer. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
as well as being willing to give an answer, we must be ready to give an answer. In a lot of things in life, preparation is key, isn't it? I learned this the hard way in 2012 when I took part in the London Marathon. Uh, I saw the London Marathon was happening today, and it was a nice reminder, and just nice that it came up in my talk as well. Well Well-timed. Thank you, Lord. Um, I'd always wanted to run the London Marathon. That was like on my bucket list. And um, my mum had run the London Marathon before, and I was like, I want to do that at some point in my life. So for years, I'd applied through the ballot, just hoping to get a place. And it's obviously, it's like quite hard to get a place. So for a couple of years, I didn't get a place. And then eventually, I got a place, miraculously. And the letter came through the door, and I was like, oh, man. Now I've actually got to do this thing. But I was also kind of excited as well. And I was in my mid-20s then. So my fitness was a little bit more forgiving. I could get away with things a little bit more. But I didn't do anywhere near the amount of training that I needed to do. Let me tell you, when I lined up at that starting line, The furthest I'd ever run was 13 miles. And that day, I had to run 26. What an idiot. I made it to 16 miles in pretty good time. And then my body hit the wall. My legs just became like jelly, and I was struggling to walk. I was just finding it hard to stand up. I had never put my body under that kind of pressure before. I just hadn't prepared properly prepared properly. And it was a struggle to make it to the finish line. At times I thought I was going to have to give up. But thankfully, I did make it. With a combination of walking and running, I stumbled my way over that finish line. But the reality is, it could have been far easier if I'd been prepared to do the right preparation. And when it comes to giving an answer for why you've placed your hope in Jesus, it helps to be prepared And I'm not saying that you have to write out a script that every time someone asks you, like, let me get my phone out. Let me tell you why I have a hope in Jesus. Here it is, written down. (laughs) They don't need that. But it helps to be prepared. It helps to know the answer. What would you say? Sometimes we avoid sharing our faith because we're worried about what people might think of us. That's true, isn't it? Or we're afraid that we might say, that what we say might not make sense. Or that we don't really know what we're talking about. What if I start telling someone about Jesus and they ask me a question and I just don't know the answer? Then what am I going to do? I've got to like backtrack. There's a danger that we fall into the trap of thinking that we need to be able to provide the perfect summary of the gospel. Like if it's not the perfect tweet answer of that's the gospel in a tweet, then I can't, I can't share it. But the truth is, you don't need to know all of the answers. You just need to be able to offer people the reason for the hope that you have and make sure that in doing so, you point them towards Jesus. When someone asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, you don't have to share with them what you don't have or what you don't know. You just have to share with them what you do know. Because apparently, what you know about Jesus now was enough for you to say yes and choose to follow him. And I'm willing to bet that there'll be people you speak to and that will be enough for them to say, yes, I'm ready to follow him too. So share that. Share where you're at. If somebody asked you, why is your hope in Jesus? Do you know how you would answer that question? If you don't, then here's a suggestion. 
why don't you just spend a bit of time this week having a go at writing it out? Maybe just a couple of bullet points. Why did I decide to follow Jesus in the first place? Why am I still following Jesus? I did this, I came to faith when I was 18 years old. And I'm 32 now, so that's quite a few years following Jesus. And I think when I got to about 25, 26, I was like, I've been doing this for a while. And I, I don't really remember how I got here. And I just took, I remember just taking an evening and I just got like my, I can't remember, like an iPad or a laptop or something. And I just started typing. I was like, why am I even a Christian? How did I get here? And why am I still here? And I just found that that exercise really helpful. And if you don't know how you would answer that question, I'd encourage you to do that too. Because nobody can answer that question for you. You are the only person that can answer that question, why your hope is in Jesus. No one can answer that for you. My journey of faith began when a friend told me about her hope in Jesus. She simply told me about the God she prayed to who answered her prayers. The God who made the world and everything in it. The God who knew everything about her, cared about her and loved her. The God who died for her on a cross because he wanted her to know him. And after she told me those things, she told me that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for her, he died for me too, so that I might be able to know him as well. Now, you know what? I don't think she actually realized the power of what she shared with me in that moment. She was just, she was just sharing what she knew about Jesus. The impact that that was going to have on my life was crazy. Like I said, I was 18 years old. 14 years later, this has changed my life. When she shared her hope with me, it offered me hope. Hope that there was more to life than I actually knew. And for the first time in my life, I began to question, is there a God? Does he care about me? Does he know me? Is what this book says true? And I started to explore. That conversation changed my life. So when we share the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus with the people around us, we extend an invitation to them to embrace that hope for themselves. And as followers of Jesus, as kingdom carriers, we should be the most hopeful people around, shouldn't we? We should be the most hope-filled people. People don't need us to be able to give them a perfect answer. And they don't need to see a life that has it all together. Because that's just not reality, is it? They don't need to see a life that doesn't have any struggles. I'd be amazed if I said to this room, is there anyone here who doesn't have any struggles? Because we all have stuff. We all have stuff that's difficult. But what people really need to see is that we have many of the same problems. We have many of the same troubles and many of the same challenges. But we respond differently because our hope is in Jesus. Alan Scott, in his book, Scattered Servants, says this. Our communities are drawn to brokenness more than excellence. We try to impress them with our brilliance, but our brokenness and imperfection are our greatest gifts. Focus on sharing your life before you sort it. You don't need to have it all together before you give it all away. Indeed, you won't find your life, you won't find the life you're looking for until you share the life that you have. People around us need our brokenness as much as our wholeness. 
people in your industry, your family, and community have become so scarred in life that they are desperate to know if it's possible to recover. If you have a neat, sanitized life, they're never going to ask you to explain where your hope comes from. They'll never ask you how you deal with stress or unforgiveness or debt. However, if you vulnerably open up your pain and with integrity open up your past, they will see that there is hope. They will start asking, how did you recover? How are you recovering? What is the source of your hope? As Peter told us, you need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So invite people into your life with Jesus. That's my encouragement to you. Invite people into your life with Jesus. Help them to see the hope that you have. We are kingdom carriers and we carry a kingdom message. So live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. Embrace opportunities to share your story and be prepared to give an answer. Because as we share our stories and give the reason for the hope that we have, the power of the gospel that brings salvation is unleashed. And we proclaim to those around us that the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you're able to, why don't you stand?